Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them away, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did us. And he did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among them and the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, Listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose as people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago." It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them they should abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immortality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses had been preached in every city from the earliest times, and it is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent this following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we are all agreed to choose men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food, sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immortality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were so glad for its encouraging message. 
Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, prophets, said much to encourage and to strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Let us pray. <laughs> Dear Lord, thank you so much for the gift of freedom, that we are not bound by law, but that we are shown grace with your love. And thank you so much for that. And please be with uh, Todd as he shares the message and be with us that we hear the message and we can take it through our week. And um, amen. Thank you. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you thought John was joking when he said 35 verses? I thought, I didn't think about it in the morning hour, but uh, I thought, gosh, people probably think he's kidding because uh, we like to joke around. Uh, this uh, passage in Acts chapter 15 is actually a pivotal uh, chapter in the story of the early church, uh, which is interesting because we're ending on it. We've spent 13 weeks on Acts, and we've hit Acts 15, and uh, this is a pivotal chapter in the, the story of the early church. But in order to understand why it's pivotal, to understand why it's a climatic, climactic uh, passage, you kind of have to go back to the beginning of, uh, of the story of the people of God. And you go back to Genesis chapter 12, and God reaches out to this man named Abram, and he makes this promise to Abram. He tells Abram, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And then he says this, and all peoples, all peoples, all nations, all people groups, on earth will be blessed through you. God calls Abram to, to be the father of this nation. The nation becomes the nation of Israel. And the purpose of Israel as God's chosen people is, is to bless all of the other nations. God chooses Israel to be his special people, not solely for their benefit, but for the benefit of the whole world. And if you read the Old Testament, really from Genesis chapter 12 until the end of the Old Testament, it's really the story of Israel, of Abram's people failing to be a blessing to all the other nations. It's their failure to, to fulfill the call that God's placed on their lives. In fact, Israel, rather than seeking to bless the other nations uh, with the message and the, the story of, of God, the story of Yahweh, they become envious of the other nations. They want to be like the other nations rather than blessing them. And so Jesus, Jesus is sent by God to really kind of renew this promise. John 3.16, we read, for God so loved who? The world, the whole world, that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. From the beginning, the message of God, the 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 reaching out of God is for all peoples, not just a select few. And so Jesus comes and through his death and resurrection remedies this promise and doesn't just restore the promise that, that God made to Abram. It's important to know that Jesus was an Israelite. Jesus ultimately fulfills the call that was placed on Abram's life to be a blessing to all nations. It was God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. 
And Jesus, before he's ascended back to heaven, passes on this message of reconciliation to the disciples. Jesus echoes the words of God to Abram when he tells the disciples, go and make disciples of who? Of all nations, of all peoples. From the very beginning, this idea that that the message of God, that the, the, the love of God isn't just for a select few, but it's for all peoples. And so as we've been moving through the the story of the early church, the story of the early church is the story of the beginning of the spread of the gospel message, the beginning of the spread of the story of Jesus and the God who loves his creation. And the climactic question, the question that's been building in these chapters as we've been moving along is, is the church going to follow through on the call that Jesus has placed on their lives? Are the disciples going to follow through on going into all nations and making disciples? That's the question. Is is this just a message for the Jewish people or is it a message for the Gentiles as well? Is it a message for all peoples? And it leads out to this discussion they, they have here in Acts chapter 15. One of the verses that stands out to me as they're discussing this is, is Peter like stands up and he says, why would we place on people outside of this group, on, why would we place on the necks of people outside of those gathered here a yoke or a burden that even we cannot carry? And I think for us as a church, as, as we're continuing to form and as we're continuing to learn what it means to be a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things, Are we willing to share the gospel message, this message of grace that we just sang about that centered on the name of Jesus? Are we going to share that with others? Are we going to place on them a yoke or a burden that even we can't carry? Are we going to expect them to make certain decisions and to live certain ways before they can be welcomed within our flock that even we cannot carry? Why would you place on the neck of the people, of the Gentiles, of those outside this group, a burden even we can't bear? And so if you're here for the first time this morning, we would welcome you. The the grace and the invitation of God is extended not just to those of us that gather every Sunday morning, but to all peoples. Jesus' invitation is for all peoples. Acts chapter 15 also speaks to us uh, some words of instruction for us in our young life together as a church. And it's one of the reasons why we've been looking at Acts over the last 13 or 14 weeks is we're continuing to grow together and learn what it means to be a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. We thought, because it makes sense to look at the early church. The early church was young. They were figuring out things as they went along much in the same way that we were. And to look at the early church and see what lessons we can pick up from them. And Acts chapter 15 gives us a lesson that's important for all of us, Uh, not just as we gather together as a community of believers on Sunday mornings and uh, as we're learning what it means as a church to be the church, but also for us as individuals and uh, for us in families, as, as we're in families seeking to be disciples of Jesus and to make disciples. And that question is, how do we handle disagreements within the life of the church or within the lives of believers. Knowing that we're all humans, we're all wired a little differently, as we gather together, how do we 
handle? How do we navigate disagreements or debate within the church? And so Acts chapter 15 gives us a couple of things that we can kind of like grab onto, a, a couple of handles as we think about what does it mean for us. Eventually, there will come a time that as a church, we have some disagreements. There will be disagreements within the midst of the church. There will be disagreements for us as a church. And the first thing that Acts chapter 15 lets us know is that disagreements will occur. That we don't need to be afraid of them. That disagreements will occur. And in fact, what I love about the Bible is as you read the Bible and you read the stories of the people in the Bible, it's not all roses and butterflies, right? People, like there are things that you've got to wrestle with within the Bible. People are going through dark valleys. People are wrestling through issues. They're trying to figure out how things go. And I love that because that's what life is like, right? Life's not all rainbows and butterflies. And so I love that we've got examples like this where disagreements occur. And in fact, the author of Acts lets us know that it's not just a disagreement. Like, it's a sharp disagreement. This is a crucial conversation that's coming up. Disagreements will occur. We should expect those as we gather together as a church, and we shouldn't be afraid of them. Because the second point is this. Disagreements can be optimistic if they have the right motives. Disagreements for us as a church or disagreements within your family can be optimistic if they have the right motives. As we read Acts chapter 15, personal ambition is like not at the top line priority for these people as they gather together and as they're going through this disagreement or this debate. This, this isn't an issue of winning. It's not an issue of I need to be right, which means that you need to be wrong. Their motives are different than that. Their desire is, is to glorify God. Their desire is to honor the call that God has placed on each of their lives. And because of that, they're able to approach this discussion with a humble strength. Whether it's the... the Believers that are part of the, the party of the Pharisees or the disciples who have been in Antioch and different places sharing the gospel message with the Gentiles are able to have this humble strength because their focus is on what God is doing. And so as they're gathered together and, and having this disagreement, the question that they're asking one another and that they're asking themselves is, how is God at work here? And so when we as a church encounter issues or encounter subjects in which, we, in which we have some disagreement or in which we have some debate or even if it's in your family as, as you're working together, the question to be wrestling with is how is God at work here? It's the question that motiv motivates most of the book of Acts is how is God at work here? And if we start with that question, our disagreements, which we will have, can be optimistic. And the next thing, and I think especially in our culture today, this is, when I read this, it really stood out to me. In fact, it kind of screamed at me. And even in my notes, I've written in capital letters, listening. When we have disagreements, listening is so important. It's interesting because the believers who are part of the party of the Pharisees stand up and say, well, gosh, the, the Gentiles have to like, be circumcised first. They have to keep the law of Moses like, 
perfectly in order for them to be welcomed in. And then Peter begins speaking. And what does it tell us? The whole assembly became silent. And not just silent, but silent until they were finished. If, if we're going to have disagreements and we're going we're gonna to ask the question, how is God at work here? We have to be willing to be quiet and to listen to one another. I also think it matters that we listen to what God is doing as well. I think about the way I'm wired. I'm a doer. I just like, I want to get to work. Like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I mean, even in my relationship with God, it's like, I don't want to wait. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'm, I just, I don't want to wait. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And you've got Barnabas and Peter who are out like preaching to the Gentiles and they meet a little bit of resistance and they're wise enough to say, you know what, we need to pause in what we're doing and ask, how is God at work here? Like we're doing all of this stuff. It's important for us to pause and ask if we're doing the right stuff. And for the church in Jerusalem to take time out out of doing like ministry and to recognize that there's ministry and taking a pause and asking a question, how is God at work here? One of the things I love about the story of Acts is that the early church like looks for where the Holy Spirit is at work and then follows the Holy Spirit in. It's important for us not only to listen to one another, but to listen to what God is doing, to pay attention, to look and see how is God at work here. And then I love that as they're having this disagreement and they're trying to come up with a solution, the experience of the Holy Spirit and Scripture stands as testimony. So you get Peter and he's speaking on behalf of those that are out doing ministry with the Gentiles and talking about how the Holy Spirit is at work in the Gentiles and transforming them, and they're seeing fruit of this transformation. They're speaking about this as testimony. But James stands up after Peter has like said all of these things that are happening. James stands up and, and says, guys, this, like really what's happening here shouldn't surprise us. Right? He goes back and he quotes Old Testament scripture with the, which the Pharisees, the, the believers that are part of the Pharisee uh, crew, they would know exactly what was being said in the Old Testament. And so James stands up and reminds them and reads this passage from Amos where God is saying, I will restore the tent of David that all may seek the Lord, even the Gentiles. This was said Years and years earlier, this was the promise of God. And James, like, picks this obscure minor prophet to quote. Like, it's obscure to us. The Pharisees would know it. But James really could have chosen all kinds of scriptures in the Old Testament. We, we talked about Genesis chapter 12, that Abram, that Israel, that the Jewish people were to be a blessing to all peoples, to all nations. This isn't new. This is what God has said he was going to do from the very beginning. And so for us as a church, are we motivated, are we compelled? Do we recognize the call of God in our lives to go out and to share the gospel message with even them, right? Even the Gentiles are being invited in. And frankly, for me, I read this and I think, gosh, even for me, the gospel message is there even for me. 
So I was reading Acts chapter 15 and like wrestling with this question, how is God at work here? It kind of motivated me to start reflecting on the last 13 or 14 weeks as we've been in the book of Acts and uh, like kind of compelled me to ask like, gosh, what has God been revealing to me as we've gone through this series? Like what are the things that I want to hold on to that I don't want to let go of from the book of Acts? What are the lessons that I want to carry out with me as we move forward. And uh, some of these like, lessons are for us as a community, as a church together. They also apply to me individually. They apply to my family as well. How is God at work here? What have I learned from our, from our time in Acts? Uh, the first is that the early church in the book of Acts followed the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would move. And in fact, the early disciples were willing to wait to wait for the Holy Spirit to move and, and then to respond. And this put them like in situations that were kind of unbelievable. Like we go and we read the book of Acts and like they just, they end up in these situations that are amazing. Peter's standing in front of the Sanhedrin speaking boldly not long after he was too weak to even claim that he knew who Jesus was. What caused them to do that? The early church followed the Holy Spirit with a sense of adventure. And for us as a church, that's what, that's what our desire is. We want to follow the Holy Spirit with a sense of adventure. In my own life, my wife and I have been talking a lot about this, that we want to follow the Holy Spirit with a sense of adventure. We want to be compelled by the Holy Spirit rather than controlled by certainty or calculation. I'm going to be compelled by the Holy Spirit rather than controlled by certainty or calculation. So uh, John and I and uh, Danae and Nina were talking about like what we've learned from the book of Acts and we were talking about this and John just kind of off the cuff said, strategy helps quell anxiety and the Holy Spirit helps fuel adventure. Strategy helps quell anxiety the Holy Spirit helps fuel adventure. I'm just thinking like sometimes my plans are really just about me being comfortable, about me feeling like I'm in control. And certainly we shouldn't ignore strategy. We shouldn't be unintentional about the things that we're doing. We shouldn't just do things on a whim. But the Holy Spirit fuels adventure. And if our lives are boring, if the life of our church is boring, if we're stuck going through the motions, based on what John said in that, I think, gosh, well, we may not be paying attention to what the Holy Spirit's doing. It may be time to ask again, how is the Holy Spirit at work here and to jump in? And sometimes that means fasting, praying, and waiting. Sometimes that means taking a pause and reevaluating and asking ourselves, both as a church, but I, but I think individually and even in our families as well, to regularly be asking, how is God at work here? and then jumping in. But what's fun is that I've seen this, there's evidence of this playing out at Cornerstone uh, consistently over the last, uh, really, couple of years. It starts, you know, nearly two years ago. John and Emily uh, were just spending time praying, and they begin feeling like, gosh, the Holy Spirit's nudging us to do something new. And so John and Emily made a decision to, to be courageously obedient to what the Holy Spirit was leading, which meant they got to step outside of comfort. They got to step outside of control 
and of certainty and, and made the decision, yep, the Holy Spirit's nudging us to do something new. We're going to courageously obey what we feel like God and the Holy Spirit's leading us to do. It showed up when John went and met with the leadership at Asbury, and the leadership at Asbury said, you know what, we've never planted a church before, but yes, we feel like the Holy Spirit is at work here, and so we are going to bless you and send you to do this new thing. It showed up a couple of weeks after that, John and Emily, and I mean, John and I went driving around Tulsa, like just trying to figure out where are we going to meet together as a church? What, where's this new thing going to happen? And John and Emily are driving down Lewis and they pass this location and they think, well, that might be an okay place. Uh, you know, maybe it's a possibility. And Emily just said, I'm going to call this afternoon. And, and see if, it's, if the place is available, if they're open to it. So Emily called. She, she courageously obeyed that nudging. And when she called, the office manager at the Lutheran Center said, it's kind of crazy you called today because we were just talking this morning about how great it would be if we had a church that we could host here in this location. That same day, the Holy Spirit clearly at work. Uh, a couple of weeks before we started meeting in January, we, like, we didn't know if five people would show up or if 500 people would show up. Um, but what we knew is we wanted to be prepared for whoever showed up. And uh, all these pews over here in this area where the delays and Cavett are send, sitting, uh, the pews weren't there. They were all out in the lobby. And we knew, gosh, we might need seats in here. And we certainly need more space out in the lobby. But there was a music teacher that was using the space during the week and insisted, you know, that the pews stay out there because she needed that space. And so we were praying about it. Like, God, we're a little concerned about space. And Kay made it her personal mission uh, to specifically pray that space would free up. I look back now and it's like, of all the things we had to worry about in starting a new church, like we were praying about pews. But we were. And the Thursday before that first service, like Thursday is our last day in the office, and the music teacher walks in and she says, guys, I've got great news. I found new space that works so much better for us and uh, for me. And John and I were like, okay, be excited, but don't look too excited, right? And, and then our next question was, how soon is she going to be out? Which we didn't ask, but she said, if you can help me move out, that would be great. And we were like, now? And she said, yeah, now. And so John and I were given high fives afterwards at just the right time. She found a new space. We've been, I've been like concerned for the last month, knowing everybody's getting back from vacations and those sorts of things that, that gosh, if we're going to grow, if we're going to continue inviting new people, um, if we're going to continue inviting people from all nations, like even the Gentiles in here, like we need space. And a couple of weeks ago, John finds out that the Hispanic church has a, has a new location that's better for them, that opens things up for us at just the right time. I think about um, you all taking adventurous steps and inviting people to Cornerstone. People, uh, some of them that you don't know, that you meet in coffee shops during the week. Some of them that you do know, but Cornerstone's still kind of fresh, and you're not so sure about Cornerstone, but you're courageously inviting new people. I think about some of you that have stepped up to lead apprentice groups, um, and then some of you that are stepping out in courageous obedience to be a part of an apprentice group, to be a part of a small group for the very first time, an experience you've never heard, you've never had before, but 
Gosh, the Holy Spirit seems to be at work here. How is the Spirit at work? And then following with that. We want to follow the Holy Spirit with a a sense, with a spirit of adventure. What I've learned from Acts is that we should expect miracles. We've talked about some examples of that. We should continually keep our eyes open for miracles that are happening all around us. Like the early church, we should know this is going to be hard. And it has been hard, and it will continue to be hard. But the Holy Spirit's with us, and God is faithful. And even in those faces of opposition, we should expect miracles. The other thing I've learned is that everyone matters. We've talked about Barnabas. Barnabas was a connector. Barnabas connected Paul to the church. And because Barnabas was willing to kind of step out and and take a stand for Paul. Paul then is the one that ultimately like, really is the catalyst to taking the gospel message to the Gentiles. Three or four weeks ago, John talked about from the scriptures a servant woman named Rhoda, who would normally, we would think, and certainly in that society, would be overlooked. But for God, everyone matters. And I think about us gathered on Sunday mornings. Every one of you matters. I think about as we gather in the lobby area, You may welcome somebody, you may greet somebody that you've never met before. And you may not know this, but it might be their first Sunday. And because you welcomed them, they may come next week. And they may come the week after that. And if you hadn't reached out, they may never step foot in church again. And who knows how their trajectory might be changed. Barnabas changed the trajectory of so many lives because he was willing to stick his neck out for Barnabas. And you being present here in worship and making others feel welcome and praying for others, we have no idea how that might change the trajectory and the lives of others. I wonder about you as we wrap up Acts. What are the lessons? What are the messages that stand out for you? What are the things that you want to just not just hear, but like Jesus tells us that you want to put into action, that you hope and would pray that we as a church body would put into action as well. And just encourage you to write those down and to continue praying for those and to take steps of faith towards those things. How is God at work here? And how are we going to step into it? Uh, The last thing that stands out to me is, as I think about the early church and the ministry of the early church, I'm reminded over and over again that the spread of the gospel starts with the disciples having an, having an experience with Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They heard his message. They saw his love and his grace and his miracles and his death and resurrection. They had an experience with Jesus. And if we're going to be a, gospel, a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things, that renewal of all things starts with the renewal of our own hearts starts with us being shaped by the gospel, which starts with us having an experience with Jesus. And so every week, that's why we celebrate communion together. So I would invite those that are serving communion to come on up. When we celebrate communion, we're reminded of the experience that we've had with Jesus, the, the grace and the love and the mercy that Jesus extends to us. And like the disciples God is continually renewing us and giving us that message of reconciliation. And so, like the disciples, Jesus invites all of us to his table. And as we've been talking, uh, whether you've been 
a part of Cornerstone for many years or, or for many weeks. None of you have been here for many years. Uh, for many weeks, uh, whether you've been going to church your whole life or whether this is your first Sunday in a church, Jesus invites all of us to his table. So we'd invite you as well. Jesus invited his disciples. They gathered around the table uh, to share a Passover meal. And Jesus renewed the meaning of the Passover meal when he took the bread and he held it up and he presented it to the disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And likewise, after the supper, he took the juice and he raised it up and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you. For the forgiveness of sins, take and drink this as often as you like in remembrance of me. And so Jesus invites each of us to his table to remember him and remember his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins. I'm going to pray in just a moment, and then the ushers are going to dismiss you to come and celebrate communion together. We will have gluten-free uh, in the middle, so if you need gluten-free, we'd invite you to that. We'll just invite you to take some time uh, either in your seat after receiving communion or at the prayer rail and just asking God to stir your heart, to ask yourself, how is the Holy Spirit at work? And then seeking ways to jump in and participate. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word, that your grace, that your life, that your resurrection isn't just for a select, select few. But it's for the whole world, including us, and including those that we'll come into contact with throughout this week. God, open our eyes to how your Holy Spirit is moving, both as a church and individually and in our families. God, our desire is to partner with you. But God, it starts with you renewing our hearts. And so Lord, we come to your table, remembering that promise, remembering the renewal, remembering the resurrected life that you invite each one of us into. We pray. Amen.